There are two reasons that your favorite football team doesn't give up many points anymore. Really hasn't for a while. One reason we talk about a lot. The other reason, funny. Doesn't ever seem to come up. Good morning to you. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Steelers. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into hockey and or baseball. I also offer daily shots of Penguins and Pirates that I hope you'll also check out. Last seven games, I'm going to mention the opponent, and I'm going to mention the number of points that the Steelers' defense allowed. Against the Ravens, 10. Rams, 17. Jaguars, 20. Titans, 16. Packers, 19. Browns, 13. Bengals, just 10. The only team in the NFL that's got a streak of seven-plus games of giving up 20 or fewer points all season long is the one that you follow. No one, no one talks about this. You know what they do talk about? At least in this context, and this is fair, that's that Kenny Pickett doesn't turn the ball over. You can say all kinds of terrible things about Kenny's performances before this past Sunday in Cincinnati, but what you can't say is that he handed the other team the ball. As a result, the other team hasn't had great field position, hasn't had any gimme putts. But the bigger deal by far, is that this defense is actually pretty good. And that's despite missing Minka Fitzpatrick for a lot of this time. Cam Hayward for a lot of this time until his recent return. Two of the three starting inside linebackers done for the season. And not to be forgotten, Montrevious Adams being out for several weeks now after he'd been the Steelers' top run stopper. This has still been, go ahead and use the word, it's been an elite defense in this span. There's no other way to put it because there's no other team that's done this over such a sustained period. Elite. And it's nowhere near as good as it could be, as good as arguably it should be. Because now that there's word yesterday from Mike Tomlin that, uh, to quote him directly, the light is on for both Minka and Montrevious to return this Sunday against the Cardinals. And now that there's, uh, yeah, I don't have another way to put this, so just deal with it. Now that there's some really unattractive opponents coming up on the schedule, not that Cincinnati led by whoever that was, I already forgot his name, filling in for Joe Burrow the other day you know, represented some monumental challenge. This can keep going. In fact, this can get much better. Remember that the one thing that I think we all agreed on, rare as that is, was that this could be, this could blossom into a very, very good defense. Now, a couple of other things have happened along the way that weren't in play earlier this season. One, of course, is Joey Porter Jr. He's now running up something of a a hit list of some of the NFL's better receivers. He's gone head-to-head with them. Forget the rookie initiation or whatever. He hasn't had any gradual steps toward this. He's just been told, that guy over there, 
That's Jamar Chase. He's yours. Go get him. That guy over there, that's DeAndre Hopkins. Go get him. And he's done it week after week after week. Hasn't been perfect. He's shown some inexperience. He's gotten a couple flags, got another one Sunday in Cincinnati early on. But wow, that's a difference between what we saw earlier in the season and what Devontae Adams and other guys like that were doing to Patrick Peterson and to Levi Wallace. That's an upgrade. How about Keanu Benton? Don't leave him out. Benton has put himself in a position where he's now expected to be the down lineman who's out there with Cam and with Larry Ogunjobi. And he's getting the job done in a big, big way. It might not show up in the statistics. It might not show up even when it comes to just trying to isolate on him. But when you hear the players and the coaches all the way up to Mike Tomlin agreeing universally that what he's doing in there is special. Yeah, that's that's when you've got something. So those are a couple right there. It might just be the case that when Montrevious comes back, he won't have anywhere to play. I'm not kidding. And yeah, I mean, I'm obviously leaving out the elephant in the room here. T.J. Watt, well, here's what Tomlin had to say about T.J. yesterday. I mean, let's be honest. Like, T.J. is the best defensive player on the planet right now. Um, And he proves that week in and week out with the plays that he delivers us. Um, I get a bird's eye view of it. I see the lengths that people go through to minimize his impact on the game. I know the type of games that we've been in, close ball games and – you know, how that at times minimizes uh, a guy that plays his position's ability to impact the game. None of those things slow down the train that we all know is coming. And so we're just appreciative of it. Hopefully it's something that the, that the young guys can learn from. Um, and it's our job to continue to work to put him in position where his talents and his will and his preparedness shows. The head coach isn't one for hyperbole. He doesn't do that often. He very, very rarely singles out a player for a superlative at that level. But look what he's got. Look what TJ's doing. NFL leader, again, 13 and a half sacks. Interception, fumble return for a touchdown. Another forced fumble Sunday in Cincinnati. He's, yeah, I'm not going to waste your time or mine by telling you TJ's good. But this defense, when you put it all together, presuming you can put it all together, and further presuming that the one area that would probably be lingering as a concern would be inside linebacker, aside from a Landon Roberts, who's been just stupendous since his two mates went down, is what are you going to get out of Michael Walker? Uh, Can Walker keep it up? And if he doesn't, can Mark Robinson come in and do the job? That's maybe the one area where you'd be a little bit worried about. But then we were saying that about safety depth when all the safeties went down. And look at what Trenton Thompson's done. Uh, Listen and read the praise that he's getting from the inside. They love him. Tomlin's talking about Thompson in a way that I don't know that he's going to come off the field. 
depending on how things play out. It's a very, very good situation that the Steelers have defensively. And it's probably about time we all start talking about it a little bit more. When we come back, J1Q. This segment of Daily Shot is brought to you by our good friends at Mike's Beer Bar. They're located on Federal Street, directly across from PNC Park. Mike has more than 500 beers on tap, including from more than 50 local breweries. Stop in and say hello. Tell Mike we sent you. Mike's Beer Bar. Today's J1Q comes from Roy, who says, DK, what have we learned about Mike Tomlin since Matt Canada was fired and the team appears, at least through one game, to be putting the pieces all together? Why did Tomlin wait so long to make a decision that everyone else saw needed to be made? Roy, the best answer that I can offer, since you're not asking me what I think, you're asking me what Tomlin thinks, is that Tomlin did address this in a way on the day of Canada's firing by saying that you just know when it's time, you feel when it's time. And he said that as he made clear that the decision was, and I quote here, quoting the head coach, mine and mine alone, end quote. There are people who are quite comfortable calling the head coach a bald-faced liar in that statement. It's up to you how you deal with that. But to repeat this yet again, I was told emphatically and very much from the inside that Tomlin was the one who initiated the process, at which point four people gathered in a room, the other three obviously being Art Rooney, Omar Khan, and Andy Weidel. The owner in any such situation has to sign off on a major move like that. Rooney signed off. Tomlin went and got it done. That was the end of that. Why did he wait? We're never going to know that. If you think there's going to come a day where Tomlin sits down, like, I don't know, in January or February with a reporter, maybe someone in-house, maybe someone nationally that he kind of likes and offers them the deep down from the inner caves of his soul, what went into hanging on to Canada as long as he did and what ultimately went into firing him, it's not going to come. It's not going to come. It's been all these years later, and we still don't have any additional information on exactly what happened with Bruce Arians, for example. It's not going to come. It's not going to come from the coach. It's not going to come from the owner. And you and you better not think even for a second that it would come from either the GM or the assistant GM so early in their respective tenures. So we're not going to know. We're not going to know. I am hearing a lot of this, which you've brought up as discussion and debate points, and I get that. There's a lot of residual disappointment, anger, and everything else. And the faucet doesn't just turn off like that. People were justifiably infuriated with the quality of the previous offensive coordinator. And seeing that turn around so dramatically 
on the football field the way it did in Cincinnati, that could stoke an even greater reaction in a way. Like, why were we putting up with all this? What kind of damage might have been done to Kenny Pickett? What kind of damage might have been done to George Pickens? Or even if they were just stunted along the way, what kind of damage might have been done to this team getting into the playoffs? I would say that would be minimal because the Steelers won a lot of games. They had no business winning anyway. But you're going to have that lingering sense of, wow, really? What was the point in all this? And all I'm here to tell you is that we're not going to have that answer. And I'm not going to make one up for you. That's just the way it played out. I appreciate the question, though. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Steelers. Let's do another one of these tomorrow. 